Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Series titled Letters for Exiles. You got to see that word uh, again in, in the reading that Hunter did, exile. It's not a word that we, that we often use, but it's one that is very obviously for us as we read through the, the, the book of First and Second Peter. Exile more similar to the word refugee, someone who voluntarily or forced to no longer live in their home. And what God has asked us to do is make your home in the place that is not your home. That's difficult, that's scary. That's really vulnerable stuff. Uh, the first week that we were here, we talked about uh, what, is the, what is the cost of discipleship, the way of the cross. And the second week here, identity, living out identity was last week. And then now today, we're looking at what does it mean to have a greater calling and a greater purpose. And if you look at uh, two, three, and four, and you, you took those words and put them at some sort of leadership conference, I think it'd be really easy to go, yeah, those are important things. I think that we all strive for and want these things. These, these are not necessarily unique to Christians. You, you could put this uh, at, at any sort of event. So what makes it different for us? What makes it, what makes it powerful for us? And it's number one. That the two, three, and four are different because they're built on the foundation of Jesus. So when we talk about identity, we're not talking about just simply finding yourself, but finding yourself in Jesus. And so today when we talk about calling and purpose, I think it, you know, at least for me, is really easy to go, finally, yes, what is my purpose? And maybe you've, you've bumped into this in your own life, a midlife crisis of like, is, is this it? Is this all that life has to offer? And I think in that moment, we're struggling to go, what is our purpose? Good news, we're going to answer that question here today in 15 minutes. You're going to spend a lifetime actually discovering this. I I think that the answer is clear, but like truly believing it, discovering it, and living it is, is a lifetime of learning. So when we look at what is our purpose, who, who am I? Why are my relationships not working? What is the point of my life? I used to be happy, but for some reason I'm not anymore. I think, I think these are all questions we struggle with. What is our purpose? Is to be a place where people will encounter God. To be a place where people will encounter God. It might feel like, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm probably more a place where people encounter the devil. I'm, I'm probably more a place where people encounter sadness. How can I be a place where people encounter God? That, that feels too hard, too difficult, too big. And what Peter offers for us is to say, no, no, it's actually very, very possible. So as we move through uh, this, this passage, let me pray for us as we, as we listen to the words that Peter has for us. Jesus, we come to you this morning present. We come to you this morning listening to your words, listening to your heart, that we may be present with you. Allow distractions to fade away. Allow any sort of 
self-doubt fade away, any sort of fear fade away, that we would be able to receive you. In your name we pray, amen. So the, the entirety of First and Second Peter is addressing this question, how do I act in this world? How do I, as a Christian, participate in this world? And I, this is a great question, because sometimes it feels like uh, I, I am the benefit of worldly things, but feel like I'm not supposed to, kind of all at the same time. And what we're going to look at is what does it mean to be a Christian in the world that is not our home, but is our home, is to be faithfully present. We're gonna be faithfully present. What does that mean? I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you asked. Peter offers for us these four images in the beginning. So this is in verse, if, if you're someone who likes to highlight or write in your scripture journal, this is verses four through five. Just circle these images that he offers for us. He says, you are living stones. You are a spiritual house. You are a royal priesthood. You are holy sacrifices. Just circle those. What in the world is he talking about? Because these are not images that you and I uh, relate to quite often, but to the people he's writing to, oh, the, he, they know exactly the image that he's trying to build for them, and it is of the temple. You cannot have these other four things without naturally thinking about the temple. What's so important about the temple? It's the place where God's presence dwells. If you want to meet God, you go to the temple. And here, Peter is describing the people as the stones that make up the temple, the sacrifices that are done in the temple, the priesthood that serves the temple, and the spiritual house that is inside the temple. What's happening here? Well, first off, I've got to look at one thing. It's all plural. All the words he's using here are, are plural. He's not talking to an individual person. This is really difficult because I get stuck on my relationship in Jesus, and that's it. And Peter doesn't use that language. Jesus doesn't use that language. Where do you find Jesus? In community. That when I'm struggling, I get to lean on the community. And when someone else is struggling, I get to be there for them. So recognize that it's all plural. And then secondly, he's talking about you are these things. You are the temple. Where else do we see God's presence? Well, we get to see God's presence in the very, very beginning. In Genesis, we, looked, we saw this uh, when God created the garden. He walked with Adam and Eve, God's present in creation. And then later on in Genesis, uh, into Exodus, they, get, uh, they go through the Red Sea. You might know this story where the, the water gets parted. They're, they're hanging out in the desert for a long time. And they say, God, where are you? And he says, I'm in the, the tabernacle. I'm in the tent. If you ever doubt that I'm not with you, my presence is in the tent. And then fast forward to at this time, uh, they, they could afford bricks now, and it wasn't just a tent, but now it's a temple. And God's presence is in the temple. And so if you want to meet God, if you want to know, like, I'm doubting, where is he? You had a place to go. You could go and visit with him. God's presence is in, started out in Eden, then the tent and the temple. And then we start to see in the New Testament that the same language that describes the building is now describing Jesus. John 1 is saying uh, that the, the word became flesh 
and tabernacled amongst you. The description of a building, of a tent, is now being used to describe a person. What's happening here? That Jesus is now God's presence with us. This is where the name Emmanuel comes from, God with us. And so now we get to see God's presence isn't just in the temple. Now that God's presence is walking around. Oh no, this is like messing with my paradigm now. Where is God? And then we start to see that Peter uses the same language that described Jesus to describe us. Where is God's presence now? That we look at the life of Jesus and the spirit of God descended on him uh, when he was baptized. Jesus said, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Not talking about a building, but talking about himself. And then we have the same language being used about the church. That a few weeks ago, we, we talked about Pentecost. This is when the Spirit came down on the disciples. And it was, it was like a flame above their head and they were speaking all different languages. That as the Spirit descended on Jesus, now the Spirit descends on us. And, and other similar language that is used to describe the church is that, uh, that, that Peter is now talking about God is no longer contained to the building in the same way that he was in, in Jesus. Now he's inside of you. And we get to see this parallel of where is God's presence today? If I want to meet God, where is God's presence today? And Peter is saying that you are called to be the ones to bring the presence of God to others. You are called to be the one to bring the presence of God to others. Now when people are struggling, when people have these big life questions of, of who am I? I would, I would love for some, something to give me an answer for some uh, God in the sky or someone to, give, to respond to that. What if now that is a neighbor away? That God's presence is now one relationship away, one office cubicle away because he's in us. That you can have an encounter now with the living God. That you don't have to go to a temple. You don't have to wait for a holy priest. You, you don't have to wait for permission. But now he's present. This changes everything. So when we talk about how do we participate in the world, how do we participate in a place that's not our home, and yet is, kind of all at the same time, now our charge is to be the place where people can encounter God. I love this quote of what it, of what it means to uh, be faithfully present to as Christians to both participate in the world but not like abandon it. Because I feel like there's like these two responses. Okay, we're Christians and this world is not our home, so we can retreat. We can we can go away and and build these holy huddles that say we're not going to participate in anything. Or the opposite side of we're going to attack. We're, we're going to take away anything that's worldly. We're going to make sure that it doesn't happen because uh, J Jesus commissioned us to make sure this place is holy. The problem with that one is like you're going to eliminate everybody. And there's going to be nobody left. So instead of these two different responses, like being the only responses, I, I, I think that that's more like instead of two options, it's more of a spectrum. And those are the opposite ends. And that what Peter offers is something significantly more in the middle, which is faithfully present. Okay, so this quote from this awesome book is what does it mean to be faithfully present? To be faithfully present for Christians in a world means that Christians are, are committed to the spheres of their social influence, whatever they may be. 
their family, their neighborhoods, their volunteering, their places of work. Where the power is exercised, wherever power is exercised, therefore, it must conform to the way of Jesus. Rejecting the privileges of status, oriented by a self-giving compassion, and for the needs of others, committed indiscriminately for the good of all. This isn't talking about, this, this charge isn't talking about when you work in a Christian organization, when you work in a church, this applies to you. This is saying if you follow the way of Jesus, wherever you go, are you one that can be committed to this last line here, self-giving compassion for the needs of others and committed indiscriminately to the good of all? This means the people you disagree with. This means the people you don't like very much or even the people you haven't met but assume that you won't get along with. Are you willing to serve them? Are you willing to give up your benefit for the benefit of somebody else? I, was, I just had this meeting Friday. Sony and I went and met with the director of the park uh, down here at the hill, Amistad Park. And she was telling me this story where kids, this is like 13 to 15 year olds, would hang out outside the park and were, were not doing positive things. They were like selling drugs and at the same time were targets themselves of, of other gangs who didn't want them to sell drugs and so drive-by shootings could have, were a regular thing. And so now who wants to go to a park where it's scary to walk by because you might, you might not be the one being shot at, but you might catch the stray bullet. Or like what parent is gonna say, yeah, sure, I don't mind if you walk by the, the five to six drug dealers in the park. Like, no, so this park is just going unused. And now it's gorgeous and those kids don't hang out there anymore. And I asked her, how'd you do it? How'd, how'd you transform the park to be a place where the, the, the 13 to 15 year olds are no longer hanging out selling drugs, but a place where people want to come to. And I did not expect this answer, but she said, prayer. Every morning I got on my knees and I prayed. And I was like, oh, <laughs> should have expected that. <laughs> kind of in that job field, <laughs> prayer is a thing. Uh, and that was really convicting because I, I did not think that that would be where transformation would come from. And then the second place that transformation came from was she, she didn't see the kids as a nuisance, but instead as the beginning of where her programming would start. Oh, we're going to do basketball camp? Great. I got eight kids waiting to join a basketball camp right outside. Why don't we start with them? As opposed to, oh, they're trouble and we don't want them here in, in our park. She was, was being faithfully present and working indiscriminately for the good of all. For the kids who were her problem, she saw as the solution. And it totally rocked me because I expected the answer to be a better relationship with the police and we got them all arrested and, and now they don't live here. And instead, it was an invitation. It was, how can I help you, honey? And, and I'm sure that that like melted their heart because they're like, oh my gosh, you care about me? I thought you were here to kick me out. 
Are we willing as Christians to work indiscriminately for the good of all? So, when, when it, what does it look like for us to then share Jesus with other people? This is in, this is in verses 6 through 10. That that our lives then become the reflection of who Jesus is and who we believe, what we believe about him will be how we live. She believed that Jesus was a God of transformation so that when she walks out to the kids, she believes that transformation can happen. Do we believe, that, do we believe in that same kind of Jesus? And I think so often that when we want to share Jesus, these two fears come up. I don't know enough. I'm afraid that I don't know enough. Or I'm afraid that my actual life is actually hypocrisy to the one that I claim to follow. And just to quiet those fears, one, you don't know enough. You don't know enough. And you're not called to. And the second one, I'm afraid that my life might be hypocrisy and I'm, I'm the opposite direction of Jesus. You are at times, and you have been redeemed fully. And this is what points us to Jesus. Because so often it can feel like, oh, is my, be- is my behavior pointing people to Jesus? Uh, and actually, it's, it's maybe more pointing to me. And that our behavior is not about us, but instead it points people uh, to God's goodness, not our worthiness. Our hypocrisy of like who we claim to follow not, and our actions don't always match that aren't about us, but about the graciousness of the God that we follow. And I think that when we talk about sharing Jesus with others, that feels less like step one and more like step two. And that we would actually need to start with sharing Jesus with ourselves. That we need to be growing in who Jesus is, getting to know him more and more each day. And in verse um, one and two, the comparison that is made here is like a baby, longing for spiritual milk. Is this something that we want? Is this something that we desire? That the closeness that a mom and a baby have, is this something that we desire with Jesus? And There's many ways that you can grow in your relationship with Jesus. Here's three really simple ones. Reading the Bible, the scriptures, prayer, and community. Reading the Bible, community, and prayer. These are not difficult. These are not hard. But isn't it so much easier to put this on the back burner and say, I'll get to that later. I've got real problems right now that I need to solve. And then when, when I have time, then I can come to God in prayer. This is it's so much easier to respond that way. And instead, Jesus is asking us to be present with him. And then this is what we get to see here in, in the, what we just read. Verses 1 through 3 mirror verses 11 through 12. That, that, that they are the same thing. and They're the bookends of this entire passage. That one through two, one through three, is talking about this presence with God. And in the second half, uh, 11 through 12, is talking about when you are present with God, you're going to point others to him. The first half is you be present. The second half is when you are present, others will naturally come along. Because I think we're all asking this question of who am I? Why am I here? How do I fit in? 
And now an encounter with God to those answers is a house away, is a cubicle away, is a relationship away in us. Next week is going to be really difficult because it's a lot of doing stuff. It's how do you serve? How do you, how does uh, Christ change your life and your actions? We can't really do that stuff until we, until we are with Jesus, until we know Jesus more and more. And that's this week. This, this is finding our purpose. Next week is the doing stuff. This week is the presence. One of the things that was super challenging, and, and, and I want to uh, end with this song. One of the things that was super challenging was to hear this song uh, that said, you, you set a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And every time I've heard this verse, this is coming out of, I think it's Psalm 25. Every time I heard this verse, I would think of the imagery of, you know when your sibling got in trouble? and your mom's back was turned to you, and so you start pointing and laughing. That's how I saw this verse, that God is preparing a meal for me as my enemies are hungry and watching. I get to go, ha-ha, look at me. And then the lyrics continue and say, to share with my enemies, no longer my enemies. And I was like, oh, dang it. How does an enemy become a friend? Yeah, how does an enemy become a friend? Presence, getting to know each other, asking questions, and eventually seeing the sameness in each other. What is the sameness that we find in every person? That we are all created in God's image. I don't know if you're watching the, um, the Disney Plus Obi-Wan Kenobi Noah, you're watching it? Yes, I got at least one who's going to catch this. That the, the beauty of Darth Vader versus Obi-Wan Kenobi is that Darth Vader sees winners and losers, and Obi-Wan Kenobi is not about enemies, but about converting people to friends. He's not about killing Darth Vader. He's about making Darth Vader his friend. Isn't that such a more radical way of living? Isn't that such a more invitational way of living where we don't get to dismiss people, we don't get to cast them out because we don't believe in them or think that they're worthy, but instead, I see the image of God in everyone the same way it's on me. How do we get to that? Being with God, being with Jesus. How do you be with Jesus? Many ways, I think the easiest ones are scripture, prayer, and community. That this is what I would invite you into that our purpose and calling is to be the place where people will encounter God. Let me close this with prayer. Jesus, you set a table for us in the presence of our enemies. No longer our enemies. Allow us to be present with you as you are present with us that at the right time, you came and died for us. At the right time, you came to be with us. That even though we were enemies of yours, you still came to be with us. Allow us to enjoy your presence, to be in your presence, 
to grow more and more in you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.